common statement that I have heard from a lot of people has to do with this idea of, you know, I, I need to be a more effective witness. I want to be able to you know, do a better job at presenting the gospel. I remember hearing somebody one time even say, you know, what are you going to do to, you know, to make things grow here? And I'm thinking, there's not but so much I can do. I mean, it's, it's us. We need to be reaching people. We need to reach our circle of influence. And, and, and the, the gist behind that statement was, can you give us a program that's going to make everything better? Can you give us a method so that we can be a better witness for Jesus Christ? If you, this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, okay, let that sink in for just a minute. If you personally are a follower of Jesus, you have had a point in your existence where Jesus rescued you from your sin. You became His. If that has happened, then you know. Okay, I'm just telling you. You know intrinsically. You know that Jesus desires for you personally to be actively trying to make disciples. You know that's His will for you. So when people say to me, you know, you know Rick, what, what, what's, how do I know God's will for my life? Read the book. Okay, it is God's will for your life that you make disciples. We like to think about what am I supposed to do? Well, go make disciples. That's what your job is. That's what my job is. So we know this. And, and on top of it, if you had been, think of these words with me. I pointed out that, that song that we just sang. If you had been given redemption, if you have gone from a state of being dead in your sin and you've been made alive unto Jesus, you are in Him. If that forgiveness has happened, it is, it is natural. It is a natural thing for you to want other people to experience this joy that you've experienced. That's natural. If it, if it didn't give you, if you don't have a joy, or if you didn't receive this joy at some point, you didn't get this um, relief, when you entered a relationship with Jesus, if that joy has never been yours, then just for what it's worth, maybe you're not converted. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Because His Holy Spirit, part of the fruit of having the Holy Spirit is joy. It will be yours. There, and does that mean we don't have hard times? Duh. We're looking at Paul's life where he just almost got killed. But there's a joy that comes in being a follower of Jesus. Now, if you have sat in this building for any, any length of time, if you have been here much at all, somebody said to me, um, they were kind of getting, you know, eh, what do you, why do you keep saying this? We need to be making disciples. Why do I keep saying this? Because we need to be making disciples. This was Jesus' last command. And, and here, and I'm, I'm just going to throw this at you. Bear with me. It, it, when you start thinking this way of, why are you saying this so much? Well, maybe you need to hear it more. 
And the more you're doing it, the more excited you're going to be when you do hear it. Okay, you're going to want this because this is the heartbeat of Jesus. So if you've been in here any length of time, you know, you know this is the will of God for your life. Period. So we know these truths. But then that question pops up. How do we do this? How do we go about this process of making disciples? Well, you know as I do, there are boatloads. There are volumes of books written on how to win souls, how to make disciples. There's programs left and right. There are templates. There's, there's just tons of things that you can do. We've got a track track out here loaded. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of tracks in this building that we, we give to people to try to evangelize. There's multitudes of methods. It's endless. Now, personally, okay, this side thing, I like to use a mixture of them. I like to take tracks. I like to leave them with people. Now, let, let me just say this. When I leave a track, I like to say a word. I like to leave something and be able to give someone a face to put with that name that's on the back of it. I want to be able to answer questions. Here's the key. I want to establish relationships. It's not so much just, you know, okay, here's a track. I'm, I'm done. I did my duty. No. I am commanded to go make disciples. So that's part of it. And I use tracks. I'll, I invite people a lot to Bible studies. I want people, personally, okay, this is me, I would rather sit with someone for multiple weeks on end and be able to answer questions, be able, and if I don't know the answer, guess what? We look it up. And sometimes people have some good questions. I like to sit with people over a period of time so they have their questions answered, so they're not... I, I, I don't like a two-minute conversion. Okay? I'm not looking for a fast conversion for people. I want a slow one. I want it like Jesus said, count the cost. You better figure out what you're really doing before you jump into this thing. Because this is an all-your-life commitment. It's huge. So Jesus wanted people to go slow. We don't need to be pushing for something. But all of this to say there are multitudes of programs and ways and systems. There's all this stuff. But there's one thing I can't give you. Okay, I cannot give you this. I cannot give you a passion. I can't give that to you. It'd be kind of nice if we could, you know, our, our culture is this, you know, put it in a microwave and boom, you're done. Our culture wants a pill for everything and just fix my problem immediately. I can't give that to you. We need a passion for Jesus. I can't give you a love for Him. I can't give you that desire to want a witness for Him. I can't give you any of this. And until you have that, until you have a love for your Lord, until you have a love for others, that passion to serve Jesus, until that is there, you will not be a very effective witness for Him. And here's the good news. When it's not there, okay? Own this one for a minute. If that passion to witness is not there, 
do you realize that all you got to do is on your knees before God, God, give me this. I need this. I want to be a witness for you. And I'm going to guarantee this. That is a prayer that glorifies Jesus. And God will answer that prayer. Before God, ask Him to give you this passion to serve Him. And He'll honor that. Now we're going to be looking this morning at a man, Paul, who was an extremely effective witness. He was extremely effective. And what we're going to do is look all through this passage at some characteristics in Paul's life, in this whole section, that you and I can learn from. And this is not a how-to this is more of a, you know, who we are. This is a, God, give me this passion. So in our text today, what we're going to see, we're going to see some bad assumptions, real bad assumptions. And those bad assumptions are going to lead to some really bad decisions. Now, I could stop there for a few minutes, you know. When we make bad assumptions, guess what you're going to have following it? Some bad decisions. It's just going to happen. And we won't, okay, that's another one. But... Even through all of this, bad assumptions, bad decisions, what we're going to see is some, a gracious response. A gracious response. So learn, if you leave with nothing else, there's that phrase again, remember this, even when you've got people making bad assumptions and bad decisions and they're being evil against you, you can give a gracious response. This one got thrown in my face this week. Um, Sideline, I, I was on a phone call. And it's one of those calls where it's just, it's a foreign person who doesn't understand well as English, and, and you just, you're just pulling your hair out, trying to get something done. And I, re- I realized, whoa, my voice is going up. Fur on the back of my, there's no fur, I know, but that, that little stubble on the back of my neck is just starting to get agitated. And I was convicted by this. I can always give a gracious response, and I failed. I failed miserably. We can learn from this. Paul is such a beautiful picture for us. So even as we go through passages like this, where it's a narrative passage, sometimes considered harder, there are truths in here that should be able to speak to us. And this will, I trust, this will be a help for us. So, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look into this new text. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for loving us. Lord, you are an awesome God. And I praise you that you continually work in us. I thank you that you don't quit. You just continue to mold us to your image. Help us to be pliable in your hands. Help us, God, to have this passion. And Lord, where it is missing, where it's weak, would you please strengthen us? Give us a passion for you and a love for you. Lord, I ask specifically for this morning, Lord, cause us to desire to know You better, to know Your Word better. And I pray that You would use Your Word to minister to each need in this room. God, I thank You that Your Word is quick and powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, help us to trust You. Father, I ask for Your help as I preach. Please keep my words accurate. Help me not to be a distraction to the message that you desire to have delivered. And God, again, most of all, in some way, would you please use our efforts this morning to bring glory to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our first point, Paul's persistent witness. His persistent witness. I love seeing when people just don't quit. Well, on some things. I love seeing when people don't quit. Sometimes they don't quit, and I wish they would quit. But um, I love seeing when people don't quit. Now, as an example, I've talked with a number of you, and I won't point to any of you, people who desire to do what I want to do right now. You would love to shed a few pounds. Uh, been there, done that way too much. Um, I've seen some people who have a bad habit, and you desire to quit that bad habit. And blessings on you. That's good. Um, some people need to start a good habit. Now, this is just a, okay, another sideline. Whenever you want to start, stop something bad, you got to start something good. It's called put, I've got too much. I get it. How do you know that I'm serious when I say, you know, I need to shed some pounds? How do you know? How can you tell? Well, here, here's how you know. It's going to affect my lifestyle. It's going to affect what I do. It's going to affect how I act. Case in point, I'll back off those donuts in the back room. That's one way you know that I'm trying. It's one way you know that I'm serious. I'm going to, today is tough for me. When we have these meals, by the way, stay. If I'm serious about what I want to do, I'm not going to take the easy way out. For me, the easy way, and it was just, again, thrown in my face yesterday. I'll blame Paula. That lady can bake. And she, she, was, she was mean to me. And she made peanut butter cookies with chocolate all over the top of them. I was drooling. And, and then there was a cupcake thing. You know, I, I, I wanted to be polite. So I took two. And so I was very polite. And that was it, just politeness, right? No, I was... A, I was I didn't control. Well, I kind of did, but I could have eaten four of those. They were good. But the point being, if you're serious, it affects your lifestyle. You won't take the easy way out. What's the easy way out when you're wanting to quit a bad habit? Go do it again. That's easy. Listen, this same concept applies to our witnessing. What is the easy way out? Well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. This puts me in a bad spot. It makes me uncomfortable. I've got to be, in some sense, kind of confronting somebody, and I don't like it. I may say the wrong thing. This is hard for me. I'm going to take the easy way out. And the easy way out is to keep your mouth shut and do nothing. That's the problem that we get into. Paul had a lifestyle that backed up what he said. He didn't take the easy way out. So, first thing, he adapted to people. And we're going to see this all through this section. He adapted to people. Verse 37, and as Paul was to be led into the castle, okay, keep in mind what's going on, Paul has just gotten beat to a pulp. Paul has, I mean, I've been on those, on those rocks. That whole courtyard where the temple is, I mean, it's not jagged rocks, but it's just, it's rough stone. You can walk across it easy, but I, I, there, it is so easy when you start getting beat just to have your head hit into those rocks. They wanted to murder him. They wanted him dead. And as he was being led up, and you remember the words, carried, 
The guy was hurt. He was, he, they had to carry him. He was so beat up. As he's being led into the castle, he said to the chief captain, that's a guy that's over a thousand soldiers, not a centurion over a hundred. This is a, a bigger guy. He said, can, can I speak unto you? He said, you speak Greek? Okay. Paul addresses this captain. Keep in mind, Paul is a Jew. He's a Roman. Is there a love lost between these guys? Jews don't like Romans. They're the invaders. And Paul says, is it permitted? Will you allow me to speak to you? Do you see the humility in Paul? Paul is being, let's just use this word, Paul is being polite. Paul is being respectful to somebody he doesn't like. Paul's being a kind man. We can learn from this. And so he addresses this man. And so he knows he's talking to a Roman. And here's what Paul could have done. I'm a Jew. I'm going to speak in our, by the way, Aramaic. I'm going to speak in the Hebrew's tongue, which is Aramaic at that time. I'm a Jew. I'll speak in whatever language I feel like. He didn't do this. He's a Roman. I'll speak Greek. He tries to defer. He doesn't insist on an interpreter. Let's put it this way. He is being all things to all people. He's trying to reach some. Paul is just being respectful. Now, I get it, okay? We're Americans. Americans barely speak English half the time, all right? That's just the way we are, but... Uh, and we know. You speak three languages, what are you? Trilingual. Two languages? Bilingual. One language? American. We know this. Okay, th th this isn't our issue that okay, we got to learn to speak another language. That's not the point. So we got this attitude at times, and maybe you've had this. I'm just going to be myself. They can take it or leave it. This is just the way I am. Well, maybe you need to change the way you are. Because maybe you're being kind of stuck on yourself and arrogant because you want everybody else to you know, come around you. We need to be all things to all people. We need to defer. We need to have this passion to want to reach people. It's part of loving them. It's part of wanting to actively reach them and help them. And listen, I'm going to tell you this. It's not easy. It is not easy. This is a chore. So when people, they shouldn't have to become like us for us to reach them. We should be reaching people who are not like us. I heard somebody say this one time. It's always, okay, pet peeve time, but somebody had said, these people I know, they're such good people. We should witness to them because they'd be such good Christians. Is that who Jesus came to save is the religious my word came to say prostitutes and tax collectors and traitors. And he came to save a bunch of rough people. Like it or not, that's who we need to be seeing in these views. People with the rough backgrounds who turn to Jesus and get converted and changed and added to us. It's not the religious people that we should be so, got to go get them. We need to be witnessing to people. And Paul is willing to be all things to all people. And, and, and here's, here's the point I'm trying to get to with this one. It will be noticed. 
this Roman man noticed it. Because notice the last phrase. When he said, can you speak Greek? That is a, it's a, uh, a statement expecting a positive answer. So it would be like us saying it this way. You speak Greek, don't you? That's the way he's saying it. He is, he is acknowledging that this guy speaks it and he's recognizing it. it no, it's noticed and it helped. Okay, here's the point with this. It's part of building relationships. And we've got to be conscious, consciously trying to do that. So that's your point A. Point B, he practiced respect. He practiced respect. Verse 38, Are you not that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and led out in the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? I remember the, reading this, is like, okay, what are you talking about? I had no clue, really, the, the history. So here, here's a, a, a quick history. It had been about three years prior to this, this Egyptian fellow, and if you remember, Jesus said people are going to rise up and they're going to claim to be Messiah. They're going to claim to be my role. Don't you listen to them. Okay, that, that's what Jesus said would happen. This guy, he was an Egyptian, he rose up and he said, I am the Messiah. And here, here, what he said he was going to do was, you follow me, we're going to march around Jerusalem and I'm going to say the word and the walls are going to fall flat and we're going to go in and we're going to wipe out the Romans. That was his prophecy that he was going to do. And here was where they were, they were zealots. So they wanted to see the Romans stop. But think back to World War II. I'll get back to this, don't worry. With the French, you heard a lot of times where the, the, the French um, uh, resistance you would hear talk like uh, where they would be very, very anti-collaborators. We don't want somebody who's collaborating with the Germans. We're, and they would kill them. They were very you know, passionate about this. Jews were no different. They're saying if you are a Jew and you're collaborating with the Romans, we're going to wipe you out. We're going to take you down. And so here's what they would do. This was their, their, their M.O., they would go to the feast days, the three feasts when the Jews had to come and you had all these crowds milling around the temple. They would figure out, okay, that guy, that guy, that guy. These are the collaborators. They could tell. They would find out who they were. And you remember when, when Jesus said, um, you know, get a sword, defend yourself, be ready. It, he's talking about the short sword. He wasn't talking about going out and getting this arsenal. He said, have your short sword and defend yourself. And Peter said, we got two of them. He said, that's enough, that's enough. So anyways, that short sword, that's what these guys used. And they would carry it around in the temple, and they would come up to someone who was a collaborator. And then as people, again, hundreds of thousands of people milling around, they would put it right up under their ribs, pull it out, hide it, and then start yelling. Help, help, Some, they're, they're, they've killed somebody. And they would just mill in and get, get away. That was the way that these people were trying to go about defeating the collaborators and defeating the Romans. That's why they're, in the end of that verse it says they were murderers. That word is assassins. So they were going around and assassinating people who didn't go along with their plans. Okay, Romans hear about it. The Romans come in. They find them, they wipe them out, but the Egyptian, the guy who was their Messiah, he got away. Well, since then, that three years, at every feast day, because that was when he was active, they were on high alert. And if you remember the, the model we looked at, 
They were in that Antonio fortress overlooking the temple grounds and they were anxiously looking for this to happen again. So now this riot comes and they're, they're just assuming there he is. We've got the Egyptian and it's Paul. So that's what this verse is talking about. Verse 39. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a city of no, a citizen of no mean, no um, uh, insignificant city. And I beseech you, suffer me, allow me to speak unto the people. So Paul says, nope, it's not me. I'm not that Egyptian. I'm not the guy. I am a citizen of Tarsus. And you notice when he, when he throws in this, um, uh, that phrase, in Cilicia. You know, around here you could say I'm from what, Mexico, Brazil, what, Peru. All these are cities in Indiana. And he's saying, I'm a citizen of Tarsus. Not some little podunk city. I'm a city of the real one. I'm a citizen of the real one. So I am a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia. No insignificant place. Tarsus was one of the greatest cities in the Roman Empire. It was huge. And the Ro this Roman noticed that he spoke Greek. And it wasn't you know, the way I would try to speak Spanish. It was, he spoke it well. He w there, there wasn't the accent, probably. But, but notice that phrase that Paul uses at the end of that verse. Suffer me. Allow me. Would you permit me? Paul's a Roman. Paul could have just... And he, I don't like this phrasing too much, but you know, Paul had some, an ace up his sleeve, if you will, and he didn't show all his cards right at the beginning. Paul was not demanding his rights. And Paul did have rights. He could have said, look, I'm a Roman. I need to talk, talk to these people. You had no right to do this to me. And he would have been right. But Paul is being extremely polite and respectful. And, and notice too, he says, let me speak unto the people. These people are the same ones. Again, they just beat him to death. Tried to beat him to death. These people hate him. These people despise everything that Paul is about. But Paul, his perspective is right. Paul's not returning evil for evil. Here, here's his perspective. If you remember, God prophesied this was going to happen. You're going to go there. The man who owns this belt is going to be bound. It happened. He's going to be rejected. Paul knew all this was coming, and here, but here's what Paul understood that we need to understand. God has allowed this. I've been asked this question so many times. How can God let all this nasty stuff happen? God allowed this evil to happen. Why? I don't know. Paul didn't know, but God allowed this to happen. He prophesied it. And here was Paul's mentality. And this is what I like. Paul is seeing that God is in control. And so Paul's thinking is this, I want to take advantage of this opportunity. What kind of an opportunity is somebody trying to bash your head into a rock? You know what it was? Paul wanted to take advantage of this. He was practicing what he preached to the Ephesians. Ephesians 5.16, he wanted to redeem the time because the days are evil. Paul wanted to do this. And this was against those trying to kill him. And listen, this is what he's doing. In this case, he's living his life in such a way as to attract people to the Gospel. 
That's another one of these take that home. We need to live our lives in such a way that would help attract people to Jesus. And where we're not, we need to change. And, and keep, you've heard this before, it won't happen accidentally. This has got to be something that is intentional, where you are saying, Jesus, I need your help to live this way. That I want to see people drawn to you as a result of my life. I want you to work through me this way. And it has to be intentional or it will never happen. Okay, your application statement. Let's keep reminding ourselves of God's sovereignty. He is in control. And let's practice grace even towards those who are against us. It's easy to practice grace when everybody loves you and thinks you're special. Even when we're not. We need to practice grace to those who are against us or don't care about us. And this is a lifetime learning process. You're never going to arrive. You're never going to master this thing and be a pro. That's why we need to call on Jesus continually to help us do this. He's the one that has to strengthen us to respond to people in a Christ-like way. And again, that prayer request will glorify our Lord and He will answer it. So the question is, do you want it? And I can't give you that. But ask for it. Second point, Paul's past life. His past life. So Paul, what he's going to do now is exactly what Jesus wouldn't let him do years before. You remember when Paul was in the temple and, and Jesus came and he met him and he said, you've got to get out of here. They're not going to receive you. They don't want you around. And Paul argued, debated, or tried to, with Jesus. So now he is going to try to appeal to these people because he's, in a, he's stuck. So he's going to try to appeal to them and he's going to say, look, here's this drastic change that happened in my life. I was here and all of this happened. And he's going to show what he was like before salvation and he's going to try to win their confidence. And that's going to be his method that, that, we, that we see him do this now. You're going to hear this again, but now is a good time to bring this up. Some of you have probably heard these words, or maybe you've said something like this. I don't know the words to use. I don't know how to share the gospel. And people have said something like this. Just share your testimony. Have you ever heard that? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to say yes and no. Yes and no. If all people here is what you were like and what you did, then it's no good. People need to hear what Jesus does. People need to know what he, how He can change and the power He has and what His Word can do. It's Him. It's not you. And what we're going to see Paul do, we have a few verses, and Paul's going to say, okay, here's where I was and, and what I was doing, but here's what God did. We need to be giving the gospel, and we need to transition quickly. Sharing your testimony is not sharing what you've done so much as it is what God did in you. And that involves speaking the Word of God. And that's what, what Paul is going to do here. He is going to share a positive testimony in a negative situation. So as we share a testimony, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, 
as long as we get around quickly to here's the gospel. Here's what Jesus did. And we'll talk more about that later. So first thing, he adapted to persecutors. Now that looks very similar to your first, your other first point, the other A point. Because Paul just keeps doing this. He keeps trying to adapt to people. So uh, let's start in verse 40. And we'll just read all of this section here. And when he had given him license, so the captain said, you've got my blessing, you've got my permission, start chatting. And he, he had the ability to do it. Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand to the people in a quiet down. And when there was made a great silence, he spoke unto them in the Hebrew tongue, again Aramaic, and he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hear my defense which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spoke in their tongue, the Hebrew tongue, to them, they kept the more silence. And he said, and we'll stop there. So he adapted to them. He gets permission. The soldiers, they let him go. They're carrying him up. Paul stands on the stairs. He can look, overlook the people, and he motions this way and quiet down. Now, I'm imagining. I can kind of picture these people looking up and thinking, you know, wait a minute, here's this guy that we just tried to beat up, and he's telling us he wants to say something. This should be good. I appreciate this. I appreciate what Paul is doing. Because we'll, we'll use phrases like this. I'm waiting for an open door. Paul didn't have an open door. Paul had a terribly shut door. They tried to kill him. They want him gone. They want him out of their life. He didn't wait for an open door. He pushed through one that was closed. He, he tried. That phrase of the open doors, don't, don't put too much stock in that. Let's, let's test the doors. See, see what God will do as we try to go through these things. So this is what Paul is doing at this point. So they want to, he says he wants to talk to them. So verse 1, they're listening. But verse 1, he says, men, brethren, and fathers. That's the same address that Stephen used. Paul would have heard that address. Paul knows exactly what Stephen was doing. And again, Paul is being respectful. I keep coming back to this point. He's being respectful. He's being kind. How, how good does it work for you? If you're trying to share the gospel with someone and they're angry with you, does that ever go well? Making people angry doesn't happen. How do we keep them from being angry according to Scripture? Soft answer turns away wrath. I can blow up in your face. You know, we're not going to get anywhere. Paul's giving soft answers. He's turning away their wrath. And guess what? These people are starting to listen. Paul would have been right if he had stood up and said, you people are breaking the law. You people, you're sinning. You're sinning against me. You're wrong. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Would he be right? Yeah. Would he get very far? No. It doesn't work. These, these people... Maybe you've heard something like this. What I said was the truth. Ever use a phrase that way? What I said was truth. And maybe you're right. Does the Bible tell us to speak the truth? That's a loaded question. My Bible says, speak the truth, finish the sentence. In love. There's a big difference. There is such a big difference. Paul spoke the truth in love. Now, just from a practical side, what good does it do if you just blast somebody with the truth? 
but don't show any love. My experience shows me that it kind of alienates people. You see it in families. You see it with your kids. You can blast them and just tell them the truth. and It makes them want to you know, resist the truth. I don't want what you got because you're at it. I don't want that lack of love. That I don't want this stuff. Paul spoke the truth in love. And that, that's the point that we've got to get in our minds. So what do we do? Well, I've got this attitude, and I know I like to yell at people, so I just stay quiet. I just won't say anything. No, that doesn't work either. We need to give the truth lovingly. But what if you don't feel like it? Well, too bad. I'll say this for the guys. Man up. We need to do what God tells us to do. Let's respond right. And that's, this is exactly what Paul is doing. I like the fact that we can use the Word of God, right? I mean, the Word of God, it's quick. It's powerful. It's, what's those next words? Sharper than any two-edged sword. Guess what? God doesn't need my cutting tongue to help His sharp sword. Matter of fact, my cutting tongue, when I start hitting that sharp sword, all I'm going to do is, I'm not going to dull his sword, but I'm going to dull the effect that it may have in somebody else's life. I need to let the Word of God do its job and not get in the way with my attitude. And that's what, again, Paul is just doing such a good job with this. And Paul, you'll notice he chose to speak now in Hebrew. All those people standing in that courtyard, they all spoke Greek. Every one of them would have known Greek because that's the language of the land. And if they didn't know it, they're going to get in trouble with them because they wouldn't know what the Romans are saying. They spoke Greek. But he chose to, again, meet them where they were. He spoke their language. And because of that, because he was all things to all people, he was received. And you notice the words, when they heard their own language, they kept the more silent. They really were quiet. They were really listening to Him. If you and I want to have an effective witness, we're going to be asking God to help us to be winsome with people, not to be abrasive. So let's look now at what Paul said. Uh, second point, he was a practicing zealot. Now keep in mind, most of these people didn't know Him. You remember back at Ephesus, they had that mob that joined, and they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know why they were there. All they could do was say, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. We don't know why, but great is Diana. They had no clue what they were doing. They were in a mob mentality, and we get in that mob mentality today sometimes. We don't know why we're ticked, but we're ticked. Because somebody else is ticked. They heard an accusation. They went along with the accusation. They didn't bother to see if an accusation was true. This is what had happened. And, and Paul said, uh, verse 3, I am verily a man, which is a Jew. Okay, here's what he's saying. People, I, I'm the real deal. I truly am a Jew. I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of what I am. If you remember, his accusations were, this man's against the Jews. This man's against the law. This man's against the temple. There's those whining Asian Jewish leaders. He's saying, no, no, no. I am a Jew and I'm proud of it. I'm no proselyte. I am truly a Jew. I'm the real deal. Continue on in that verse. Verse 3. Born in Tarsus 
a city of Cilicia. Again, one of the three. This was one of the, the three cities that had a university. There was Athens, Alexandria, and Tarsus. This was a big deal city. And I don't, I'm not sure why Paul would have, would have specified this. Maybe he's saying, people, I'm, I'm from a city where there's a, where, where there's a university. I'm not a nitwit. I'm a, I'm, I'm a smart guy. So maybe, I don't know why he brought this up, but again, the, the accusation, anti-Jew, anti-law, anti-temple, I'm from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, so it's not insignificant, and I beseech you, I'm in the wrong verse, verse 3, uh, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, okay. Gamaliel was the most respected rabbi of that whole time. It was, they wrote, the, the leaders, I'm forgetting, I should have wrote it down, but um, they wrote in the Mishnah after he died that love for the law ceased when Gamaliel died. He was, he was a big name. Gamaliel was the most famous, uh, what's the word, obedient, he was the greatest disciple of Hillel. Hillel was, was one of the two factions of, of Judaism. Hillel was, was a great name, and Gamaliel was his right arm. He was the guy that, was, uh, that, that learned the best under Hillel. Now, Hillel was more the liberal side of, of Judaism, but he was brought up under Gamaliel. Now, when he says he was brought up, he says he was born in Tarsus. Not sure what age he would have come over to Jerusalem. My guess would be when, you know, when the guys turn 13, their bar mitzvah, they have to find a rabbi. Paul was sharp enough that he got to go up under Gamaliel. And he learned from the best. That's when he started studying. So he says, I was brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. At that point, the crowd would have gone, ooh. He's already got their attention. Why are we beating him up? We like this guy now. He's with Gamaliel. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. Okay, let's put it this way. He was a legalist. Paul was totally a legalist. When he says he was taught according to the manner of the law, he's saying with this, he had a strict adherence to the law. He was going to follow the law and by that following of the law, gain righteousness with God. That was him. That was that. He was a Pharisee, and he was depending on the law to earn his salvation. He was taught of the fathers. So all of this, he's in high regards all of a sudden with this group that just tried to kill him. This is a good thing in their minds. And then he says, I was zealous toward God as you all are this day. Now, I don't know if you see the graciousness in this. They just tried to break the law and kill him. And he says, I was just like you, zealous, not in my sin, zealous towards God. He is giving them, he's offering a justification for their beating of him, for their trying to kill him. He is giving them a justification out of it. He's saying, you were trying to honor God. I understand this. He's not blasting them. He's saying, you were trying to do a religious thing. Verse 4, And I persecuted this way, the way, Christianity, 
I persecuted this way unto the death. I would kill people just like me, binding and delivering into prison both men and women. So I know exactly what you're coming from. I know what you're doing. I know what you're thinking. I get it. And if you don't believe me, verse 5, as also the high priest does bear me witness. I can kind of picture, and this is just, again, imagination. You don't believe me? That guy right over there, he can, he can bear witness to what I'm saying. I can see him pointing at the Sanhedrin. As also the high priest bears me witness, and all the estate of the elders, there's your Sanhedrin, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem far to be punished. Ask the leadership. They'll tell you exactly that I am telling you the truth. All this negative information about him. He's laying it out about his sinful past. But I'm going to tell you what, it's short-lived. He's saying, here's what I was, and now let's turn to what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to start seeing next time. Here's the point. Paul is concerned about these people that are trying to kill him more than he is about his own physical well-being. He's practicing what he preached. Even before he left to, on the trip to come to Jerusalem, when he was in Corinth, he wrote that letter to the, uh, to the Romans. And he said in Romans 9, 3, For I wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I am willing to go to hell if you'll just save my Jewish brothers. The ones who are trying to kill him. That is the heartbeat of Paul. Okay, let's bring it back to you and me. Are we concerned about those who treat us wrong or who have treated us wrong? Or are we content to get our pound of flesh, to get back at them by ignoring them, by being hostile back to them, doing wrong? Are we interested in seeing those who hate us, like Paul had, are we interested in them coming to Jesus? Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I just want to walk away and let them you know, go their own way. We need to have a passion to want to please Jesus. It's easy. It's so easy. When people love us and think we're great, it's hard when they hate us. We need to show the same desire. And Paul's example, it is just a good one for us today. Your application statement. We should be willing to take advantage of opportunities, sometimes make those opportunities, place before us to be a witness for Jesus. As we understand and we accept the fact that God is in control. When things go hard, when things aren't the way you want them to go, God is in control. And it's easy to mouth those words when things are going well. But in the midst of our trials, our God is in control and He delights to use what you're going through to conform you to the image of Jesus, to accomplish His purposes. As we understand this, 
and we make that you know, our practical theology, it'll help us to be faithful through those things. I don't know what you are going through today. I know what some of you are going through. Good point. But I do know this. Our God is worthy to be trusted. Our God is worthy to be followed. Especially when we can't understand. Especially when you're looking at things in your life that are out of your control. God is in control and He wants to use this. He delights to use hard times to grow us. To grow Him to His kingdom. To glorify Himself. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, then you need to believe who He is and put your dependence in Him alone for your salvation. That's your only hope. If you are His follower, people, we need to walk worthy of Him. We need to follow Him. Walk worthy of the vocation we're with your calls. Follow Him, obey Him, because He's worthy of that. Let's stand for a moment. Again, if you've never become a follower of Jesus, you must place your trust in Him alone. You bring nothing to the table. You have nothing that is desirable of a holy God. We are totally dependent. We need Him. He accomplished everything that needed to be done and only He could do it for you to be forgiven. And you do need to be forgiven. If you'd like to know more, I would love to help you. Just pull me aside. Pull somebody else aside. We'd just love to take you to the Word of God so you can see your need for Jesus. Christian, we need to ask the Lord to help us to trust Him. That is a lifelong process, and we flip-flop all the time. We need to ask Him to help us to be a consistent, faithful witness for Him. He'll do that. He will help us. You do business with God at Bethany Place for a few moments.